Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch, rushing! Deep left field! This is way back! Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. We have a Roto Mock Draft to recap, plus, what are the Marlins doing? Welcome into <laughs> Fantasy Baseball today on Tuesday, January 24th. The whole gang is back together. Frank Stample joined by Scott White and Chris Towers. Today on the show, we're going to recap our latest 12-team Roto Mock, which Scott didn't invite me to. Just kidding. I was traveling. Uh, the Marlins and Twins made a trade and a whole bunch of other little moves that I thought we needed to talk about, but Scott's like really kind of angry about them, so we're just going to try and move <laughs> past them, and, and then we'll talk about this mock draft. Uh, finally, Scotty and I have met in person. He was impressed by how tall I was, even though he's taller than me, so I didn't really get that. Um, and because well, you say you're five feet nine, and you didn't, you didn't... <laughs> Like standing next to you, I felt like you came up higher on me than a five foot nine person. He, he was wearing his uh, his moon shoes, you know. Yeah, yeah, pretty comfy. Speaking of comfort, by the way, those couches that you all see behind Scott on YouTube every day, they're pretty darn comfy. I've just gotta throw that out there. Thank you, uh, Scott. You might be shrinking because I am legitimately five foot nine. So I'm just yeah. I'm just confirming okay. that for you. I believe, like, what was weird is you shared the photo. So we took a photo of us standing right here just because I thought that was, you know, like I, I've joked. It's like you walking onto the set of Cheers or something. <laughs> and, like, it must have been surreal for you. So I wanted to get that, uh, you know, I, want, I wanted to, uh, I wanted the viewers to experience that with you. Um, but a lot of people were commenting, oh, I'm surprised Frank is taller than Scott. And I'm not wasn't really sure how to take that. I'm pretty tall. <laughs> I'm six, so I don't six know, foot two. I have height blindness. I don't know. Like, I can't tell how tall anyone is, like, relative. Like, obviously, when I'm standing next to a person and I'm looking at them, I can say, okay, you are probably taller or shorter than me. But, like, in my head, I have no recollection of how tall anyone is. Is uh, that, like, is that just me? Is that just, like, I just, like, I'm just completely oblivious to how tall people are relative to the other people around them. 
especially when all you've done for the past couple of years is shows on Zoom or well, yeah. StreamYard and stuff. Like, I had no idea. Like, I knew Scott was tall, but I, I didn't know exactly how tall he was or anything like that. Here, I'm going to make but, myself taller. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Chris is stepping it up. Uh, by the way, Chris, thanks for holding down the fort. Admiral job as always. Now, what are the Just admirable. Yes. What are what are our Marlins doing, Chris? What what are they doing? I uh, you know when this when this trade went down at first, I love it. When this trade went down at first, I was like, okay, that makes sense. And then the more details came out, it was like, well, that doesn't make any sense anymore. That's it. That's all. That's my analysis. <laughs> well, let's talk about that trade because the Marlins and the Twins made a pretty big trade. I, I think it's a decent sized trade. The Marlins acquired yeah. AL batting champ Luis Arise from the Twins in exchange for Pablo Lopez and a pair of prospects, shortstop Jose Salas, who is a borderline top 100 prospect, uh, and some publications, and an outfielder, I believe a 17-year-old outfielder, in Byron Churio. And I think it was pretty clearly an overpay by the Marlins. Uh, but you could take into account Arise is 25 years old. He has one more year of team control. That's fine. I feel like quality pitching is harder to find than like a One more hitting. year of team control than Pablo Lopez. Yeah, what did I say? Just one more year of team control. Made it yeah. sound like he only has the one yet. Oh, yeah, yeah. So he has three and Pablo Lopez has two. Uh, but let's talk about the Pablo Lopez side of it first. Since the start of 2020, he's been really serviceable. 3.52 ERA, 1.16 whip, 384 strikeouts over 340 innings pitched. And I've said all offseason that I'm kind of worried about a move because Pablo Lopez has been much better in Lone Depot Park. I didn't know that was the name until today, honestly. Uh, in Miami, 3.45 ERA at home in his career, 4.54 ERA on the road. However, target field rates out very similarly, uh, according to Park Factors, and it is a better division to pitch in. I mean, you know, going from facing the Mets and the Phillies and the Braves to uh, the White Sox and the Royals and, and the Guardians and those teams. Uh, so I kind of like this move overall, Scott. Did you move Lopez up or down based on this trade? His early ADP is 166.3. What do you think about the move to Minnesota? I mean, I wasn't inclined to move him that much. I, I agree it is a slight upgrade. I mean, if nothing else, you know, the Twins have a chance to be a success this year, and I don't really think the Marlins do. So there's a supporting cast upgrade. Again, it may not be a huge one. The teams weren't the twins weren't a very good team last year, but there's at least the possibility of a supporting cast upgrade. You you point out that he hasn't been so great in his career away from Miami. The splits were precisely reversed last year. He was much better on the road than at home. I mean, it's a pretty decent sample we're talking about, obviously. So I you know, I don't even know what to make of that either. Uh, it's not like he's an extreme fly ball pitcher who requires a good pitcher's park. He's still going to be in a pretty good pitcher's park. So, I mean, you, you, you factor it all in, maybe a slight upgrade for Lopez, but stock about even, I would say. And um, it doesn't deserve, you know, he's, he's, he's clearly not that big of an attraction in fantasy going into this season just by virtue of how deep the starting pitcher posi position is in pitchers like him who will have about a strikeout per inning, maybe a little less ERA in the mid to high threes, uh, eat some innings. I mean, he's had health issues in the past, so I didn't even know if you can reliably count on him to eat innings the way you can a Merrill Kelly, for instance. And, um, you know, just for fantasy purposes, given the way the starting pitcher, uh, 
the 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 given the way things have shaken out at starting pitcher last year, I, I just you know he's Pablo Lopez doesn't seem to ha- doesn't look to me like somebody who has standout potential anymore. And if you want to check out our rankings, they are live on cbssports.com slash fantasy slash baseball. Chris has Pablo Lopez at SP44. I have him down at 50. Scott has him at 51. Luis Arise won the American League batting title last year, hitting 316 with eight home runs and 88 runs scored, as well as a 795 OPS. He has first base and second base eligibility for fantasy purposes, but is expected to play second base for the Marlins. Chris, his early ADP is 207.7. Your thoughts on a rise? Have you moved him up or down following this deal? No, I think he pretty much stays where he where he was. It's probably a lineup downgrade. Um, I mean, the Twins should have a better lineup than the Marlins. Park downgrade as well, but not a huge one. So, all in all, I don't think the context changes much for either of these guys. You know, the thing with our eyes, you know what you're going to get from him, and it's probably just batting average. I mean, maybe some runs he'll probably hit towards the top of the lineup like he did for the Twins last season. There are, you know, lingering concerns about, uh, you know, some knee issues that he's had over the past couple of seasons that, you know, could create some playing time issues for him. But he is one of, if not the single best source of batting average in baseball. And that's pretty much it. I mean, if you get 10 home runs out of him and, and five steals, that's probably a really successful season. So I think he he kind of is what he is for fantasy. He he's someone who should be rostered in in every roto league for sure. But he's such a drain pretty much everywhere except batting average that you know he's not a player you should get excited about. Yeah, I had a slightly stronger take on Arias. This pretty much killed any interest I had in drafting him. Not that I don't rank him in a way that he deserves to be drafted anymore, but me personally, uh. Like he is so dependent on his lineup context for for his um, contributions to fantasy because he's so limited in terms of home run and stolen base output, and like the Marlins offense is going to be terrible. Like yeah, like they, it's it's funny. Like oh, we want to we want to use our pitching surplus to acquire a big bat, and the guy they acquire is somebody who had like a one hundred ISO last year. Like I think Arias would be a nice addition to many lineups around the league, but those lineups need to have some boppers yes. in them already for him to get his uh, for 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 him to have full effect and. Um, no, the Twins lineup wasn't very good last year, but you see the potential for it well, to be good. They, they scored 110 like, more runs than the Marlins last year. I, even, I didn't even think as the gap it was. was that big. Yeah. Even as it was, yeah, Jeez. they were better than the Marlins. But then you, you see the potential for even more than that with guys like Correa and Buxton, and uh, they have you know they have some other interesting hitters that are just now entering the mix and could could turn them into a really good lineup. And I just don't see that being even a remote possibility for the Marlins lineup. So yeah, like, the Marlins need a lot of things to go right to have like the 22nd most runs in baseball, probably like th- this is a team that does have some guys who can hit for power, but they're, they're heavily betting on bounce back from Jorge Soler. And then obviously El Garcia, their big additions last year. And, you know, maybe Jesus Sanchez can be a little more all than nothing. Uh, but no, it's a, it's a bad lineup. So batting average specialist for a rise, which is basically what you said, Chris. I, but now it's like, uh, okay, 
like he could he could be he could be a batting average specialist that still scores a ton of runs too. And and now I like that's not going to be the case anymore with the Marlins. So it's just like I, I don't have any interest in that unless unless my team has been built in a way that just really demands a batting average specialist late. Yeah, you're you're hoping, like I said, eight to ten home runs, five steals. Maybe he gets a few more steals with the rule change, but he's pretty slow. And, you know, 85 to 90 runs is what you're hoping for, but pretty much a one, maybe two category specialist. And I think most people will immediately look at Luis Arise and think of him as a points league player, head-to-head points league player. He averaged 2.8 fantasy points per game last year, which is solid, but that was in a career year, and now we're expecting him to be a little bit worse. So I don't know that he's even a standout in a head-to-head points league anymore. The Marlins as a team had the fifth highest strikeout percentage in baseball last year, so maybe that's what they're looking at here and trying to make a little bit more Mm -hmm. contact and take advantage of that. But either way, uh, not a lot of love here for Luis Arise. Let's talk a little bit about the roster fallout for each of these teams real quick. For the Marlins, Jazz Chisholm will now play center field coming off a stress fracture in his back and a torn meniscus. He has never played a professional game in the outfield in his life. And now he's going to learn outfield and he's going to play center field of all places. Uh, Roster Resource has Joey Wendell playing shortstop, Avi Sale, Garcia, and right field, Brian De La Cruz in left field with John Birdie on the bench. So Chris, we'll come back to you. Uh, Jazz Chisholm, seemingly, you know, a couple of weeks into the season, will have dual eligibility. And as of now, you know, look, someone's going to get hurt. Uh, it doesn't look like John Birdie's going to have an everyday role with the Miami Marlins. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he'll play enough because they don't have, this is not a team that has, you know, locked in everyday players. I think he'll he'll get in the lineup enough. But, and, you know, we have to think about the fact that Jazz Chisholm has never played more than 127 games in a season as a professional. He, you know, even in 2020, the the COVID shortened season, he played 21 games out of 60 last season, 60 out of 161 or 162. I don't know where I got 161 from. Um, <laughs> maybe the Marlins had a rainout last year. Um, but yeah, like this is given his history. I, I think you you should still expect John Birdie to get a decent amount of playing time, and we don't know how the the shift to center field is going to work out, and and you know whether it makes him a bigger injury risk. I, I would think it's probably a, a wash in terms of injury risk. I, I think the issue is just that, you know, he might play a little too reckless, and I think that's going to be an issue in the infield or the outfield. But, you know, maybe he runs into the wall more often in the outfield, I guess, is the, is the concern there. But the issue, I, I don't think this changes how I view him, if anything. The added versatility of getting outfield eligibility is, is a nice bonus for Jazz Chisholm, but I don't think it's a... A game changer either way. You just, you know, hope he stays healthy. Sneak peek. My Breakouts 1.0 is coming out on Tuesday. Jazz Chisholm is part of that list. For the twin side of things, their rotation is Sonny Gray, Joe Ryan, Pablo Lopez, Tyler Malley, and Kenta Maeda. And Scott, it sounds like Bailey Ober, who does have some sleeper appeal, could start the year in the minors. Of course, there's a lot of injury risk involved with that entire rotation, so we could see him sooner rather than later. And it seems like there are more plate appearances available now for the Alex Kirilovs and Nick Gordons of the world now that Luis Harais is gone. Yes, and I do want to point out for the Marlins also, remember we were just talking about how there's not enough room for all the pitchers of theirs we like well now there are two spots available for Edward Cabrera, Trevor Rogers, and Braxton Garrett. So 
you know, that that helps if you're looking to draft any of those guys. At some point, I'm sure they all three will get a chance to make a sizable contribution to the rotation. Uh, my favorite of them is actually Trevor Rogers. I'm 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 writing sleepers 1.0 for this week, and Trevor Rogers is in that. Mm. Interesting, interesting. Mm. I do like myself some uh, Edward Cabrera because I think I looked. He had two pitches with a 40 plus percent whiff rate, something crazy like that, and obviously he throws super hard. He's uh, just got to improve the control, obviously, and and um, you know stay on the field. That's what we need from Edward Cabrera. Scott, anything else on the Twins, or, or are we good there? I mean, you know, I like Kirilov, but I was expecting him to play a lot anyway. I, I like Ober too, for since you brought him up. I do like Bailey Ober. I think his profile is sim- like just the kind of pitcher he is is similar to Tristan McKenzie. McKenzie probably has more upside, but I think Bailey Ober, if he gets a chance, could surprise a lot of people. But he may have to wait until an injury for that to happen now. All right. Well, again, complete trade. We've got Luis Arise going over to the Marlins in exchange for Pablo Lopez and a pair of prospects, Jose Salas and outfielder Byron Churio. Let's get into some news and notes. We had Adam Duvall sign a one-year $7 million deal with the Red Sox, and last year, he completely tanked. He hit 212 with 12 home runs and a 677 OPS. However, one year earlier, he hit 38 home runs in 2021. Uh, Chris, obviously, this is a pretty deep league play here, but any interest in Adam Duvall, five outfielder leagues, playing center field for the Red Sox? He's a tough type of player because this kind of profile does not tend to age all that well. He is, I guess, you know, a good defensive player and, and a decent enough uh, athlete that you wouldn't necessarily tag him with the old player skills, but especially as a hitter, he, he's very much a... You know, swing and miss when he makes contact, good things tend to happen. But, you know, that all or nothing, uh, all or nothing type of profile, you can lose it very quickly. And it's entirely possible that he just lost it last season. But, you know, they have a need. Um, I, I, I wanted to say for Duvall, and I know I didn't want to drag these out, but since you went to Chris for the one guy who had something interesting <laughs> to say about, I'm, I'm going to chime in here on Duvall. I think he got burned last year with the dead ball, as a lot of hitters did. But specifically, Adam Duvall hits really towering high home runs. Like the launch angle is very high, and you know he tends to pull them. Like it just seems like a well-suited profile for Fenway Park. Yeah, you know the 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 the, the stadium with the closest but highest left field fence is perfect for a guy who hits towering fly balls to left field. And I think it could rejuvenate Duval in the same way it rejuvenated Hunter Renfro a couple years ago. Um, so I, I like Duval as, as like a deep sleeper for home runs in, in a way I didn't before this signing. Yeah, and I mean, of course you look we at do it before, but especially at Fenway Park. You look at his spray chart from 2021, and it's like a bunch of home runs to the left side and basically nothing else to the left side. So, like you said, it, it indicates that. I mean, it's you know what Adam Duvall is. He's an all-or-nothing hitter. So it's possible that maybe over the course of a full season, he gets five to seven more home runs playing at Fenway Park. I could see that being the case. Yeah, I mean, definitely could help with batting average as well. It's a pretty positive park shift for Adam Duvall going from Atlanta to Boston. I moved him up to my 73rd-ranked outfielder. So if you play in a 15-team, five-outfielder league, there's a pretty good chance that you are drafting Adam Duvall either 
as a fifth outfielder or a utility bat um, later on in your drafts. Tommy Pham signed a one-year $6 million deal with the Mets. Last year, he hit 236 with 17 home runs, eight steals, and 89 runs scored. The walk rate did take a pretty big dip. The strikeouts went up as well. Still hit the ball extremely hard, 93rd percentile in average exit velocity. Scott, the problem here is it looks like Pham is a fourth outfielder. Mark Hanna in left field, uh, Daniel Vogelbach, a strong side platoon at designated hitter. I mean, that's the biggest problem. Yeah, the other problem is he hasn't been good in a couple years and it hasn't really mattered how hard he hit the ball. So it doesn't surprise me that he landed a fourth outfielder job. And uh, I don't suspect we'll be talking about Tommy Pham much this year. Unless there's an interest, uh, an interest, an injury. That, that's I mean, even if there is an injury, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm saying I don't think he'll be good enough for us to care. Uh, but yeah, it could happen. Yeah, I guess. Uh, Aroldis Chapman, this probably a little bit more relevant, signed a one-year $3.75 million deal with the Royals. And this is a tough one for me because Chapman was not great last year, and he just completely went AWOL towards the end of the season with the New York Yankees. Uh, Career-worst year, basically, across the board. 4.46 ERA, 1.43 whip, 6.9 walks per nine. This is now two seasons in a row. Chapman has been up over six walks per nine, uh, 10.6K per nine, and 12.7% swinging strike rate, both career lows for Aroldis Chapman, plus... Their new manager, Matt Quattrero, he comes from the uh, Tampa Bay Rates. He was the bench coach there. Now he's with the Kansas City Royals. He is their manager. So I could see them kind of mixing and matching here, depending on who's coming up in the ninth inning, whatever it might be. Uh, Chris, what are you thinking? Like, does Chapman get save opportunities? Are we, you know, burying Scott Barlow now? What do you think? I, I did move Chapman ahead of Barlow. I just, I have a hard time, given what we know about Aroldis Chapman, I have a hard time seeing him accepting a non-closing role, even given the way things went last season. Maybe it's wrong. Maybe they'll they'll stick with Barlow or they'll go with a, a, a not a platoon, a part-time situation for Chapman and, and play the matchups. But I generally think if he looks like himself, he'll probably be the closer. And, you know, last year was weird because he was so ineffective and the strikeout rate was way down, 27% down from 40% the previous year. Under the hood, it doesn't look like that much changed. His velocity was down a little bit. There was a little bit less differentiation between the fastball and slider velocity. But all in all, like he's still got a lot of whiffs with the fastball. I think the slider was probably still a pretty good pitch that just didn't play up the way we've normally seen it. And obviously there's, you know, behind the scenes stuff that blew up in in New York that could potentially explain why he struggled. I I think he's probably done being an elite closer, but we've seen with with a guy like Craig Kimbrell that you know these the guys can get it back. So I'm not necessarily writing Aroldis Chapman off, and I think at the very least he complicates Scott Barlow's path to a lot of saves. I, I do want to point out that that's a minority opinion. You <laughs> putting Chapman ahead of Barlow, mm-hmm. it's it's something I was surprised to see that so many, including some Royals beat writers were just quickly saying, Oh, Chapman's going to set up for Barlow. Cause I, I agree with your last statement there that at the very least I'd, I'd be worried about him interfering with Barlow. Uh, I'm not to the point of moving him ahead of Barlow, but it, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if, if things shake out in spring training in a way that 
that makes it clear we all need to be moving Chapman ahead of Barlow. So, At the very yeah, least, not, it, it probably makes a situation where Barlow's like a bad four-game stretch away yeah. from losing his job at any point. Uh, uh, assuming yeah. Chapman is okay. You know, he, yeah. he could come out in spring training throwing 97 miles an hour and just be a complete waste of time. So I didn't even have Chapman ranked inside my top 40 relievers before this just because I had no idea what was going on for him, mm-hmm. with him. I moved him up to 37. He's right in a group with... Jason Adam and Giovanni Gallegos and Evan Phillips with the Dodgers, where I think these are guys that could maybe pick up, you know, eight to 10 saves throughout the course of the season, something like that. But I did lower Barlow to my 22nd ranked reliever behind Jose LeClerc, Paul Seawald, uh, Yuan Duran. I just, instead of Scott Barlow seeing the lion's share, I think, you know, maybe he sees 50 to 60% of the save opportunities this season, but. It's really hard to know right now. I think we kind of just have to feel it out during spring training and, and see what they're saying about it. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's move on to uh, our next one. Scott was really pumped to talk about this one, actually. Brian Anderson signed a, <laughs> a, a, a one sarcasm. Year, yeah. A one year, three and a half million dollar deal with the Brewers and told reporters that he will be their primary third baseman. Last year, Brian Anderson hit 222 with eight homers and a 657 OPS. Obviously, this is a pretty big positive park shift going from Miami uh, to Milwaukee. Scott, it sounds like you don't believe Brian Anderson will be the starting third baseman, but he does. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess Luis, uh, Luis Arias could play second, and and that would free up third base for Anderson. Uh, so, I no, I, I guess I, they're the ones who signed him, and, and uh, he would have a better idea what the expectations are than I would, but... It would surprise me if he starts 150 games for the Brewers at third base this year. I'll just I'll just put it that way. He hasn't been good enough to deserve it. And they have other like I, I assume they're not just giving up on Keston Ura completely. I um, you know, they got Mike Brousseau, who they like <laughs> to play against left handers. Like there's there's going to be some mixing and matching there. And and I don't think Anderson has the skill set that justifies a true everyday role. And Brian Anderson has not hit 100 games played since 2019. So it's been partially... Oh, 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 they got Abraham Toro there too. Yes, and they have a middle infield prospect in Bryce Terang, who a lot of people like as well. So originally, I I thought Terang would start at second and Arias would be at third. But now they, they, you know, make this signing of Brian Anderson. This is another one where I think... You know, let's see who performs well in spring training. I think a lot is kind of up in the air with the the Brewers lineup right now. It'll be, you know, whoever performs is, is going to play. The Twins made another trade on Monday. They acquired Michael A. Taylor from the Royals for two pitchers, left-hander Evan Sisk and right-hander Steven Cruz. Uh, Michael Taylor, you know, more of a defensive replacement at this point in his career. Roster Resource currently has Edward Olivares, Drew Waters, and Kyle Isbell playing out outfield for the for the Royals. They're starting outfield. Um, Scott, I mean, I guess this could mean Tyler Gentry is closer to earning at bats with the Royals. Um, but that's really the oh, only yeah. positive I could take away. I mean, like who they had, there, like even if Michael Taylor was there, Tyler Gentry's ready to go. There's there's going to be no stopping him with that outfield. I, I'm I'm talking about Ty, Tyler uh, Gentry like he's some big name prospect and he's <laughs> not, but I feel like he should be, and he's in my top 100, and I do think he will be the Royals' everyday right fielder by the end of this season, and his numbers in the minors last year were very impressive, and uh, people should take note of him, even if 
even if the prospect hounds aren't giving him a lot of love. Yeah, I'm interested in Tyler Gentry as well. I think he's a name to pay attention to in deeper leagues, AL only. But the only thing I'll point out, he was 23 years old last year playing at high A and double A, and he turns 24 in February. So he's pretty old for the levels he played at, but he was really good. Yeah. So keep that in mind. They said the same thing about Michael Massey at this time a year ago. And you know what? Prospect Hounds weren't giving him enough love either. And I kept silent. I kept silent, Frank. I bit my tongue. <laughs> <laughs> like now Michael Massey's a stud, obviously. No, he's not. But he, he showed some good signs last year when he did get the call. Uh, look, you didn't say it. Uh, I wasn't going to say it. You said it. But I was like, yeah, I mean, I think Michael Massey's going to be pretty good, too. But he hasn't really done anything yet. So we'll yeah. see. Uh, White Sox manager Pedro Griffal said in a radio interview that Oscar Colas will be given an opportunity to win the starting right field job during spring training. Sneak peek. Yeah. He's in my uh, breakouts 1.0 as well. Oh, he's in my sleepers 1.0. Let's go, Oscar Colas. <laughs> uh, more on him a little bit later on. Mike Trout's back has been a quote non-issue for well, months now. On that, sorry, on that note, I did see. Your busts? Sorry, what? Is he in your busts 1.0? No, no. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, no, I did see Eloy Jimenez talked about how he's still planning on playing the outfield this season. I don't know if that's, oh, uh, come on, you know, <laughs> something that the White Sox are planning on having him do, but he he seemed pretty, he, there was a, an interview, I think, today on, on Monday or Sunday where he, he was pretty adamant that he still wants to play the outfield. I, I, I have him in my breakouts column, actually. I'm, I'm, same. I think there are a lot of things to like about, about Elo Jimenez if he can just stay on the field and he's just, He's so hopeless as a defensive player. And it like in a way that looks like it's really putting him at risk of further injury. And it, I hope that's not the case, but that was just another thing I wanted to add. Uh, I think by the end of this podcast, I will probably just reveal all the names that are in my breakout column. Uh, you can read why I like them, but uh, part they of the should be up on the site on Tuesday, right? Right. Yeah. You know, you know, like, you know, a depressing thought is like you, 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 you take, a lot of time to to like make these like well formed arguments for why you like or dislike these players depending on which column you write, and you know ninety percent of the people who click on it are just scrolling through to read the names, and that's it. Uh, guilty as charged. I mean, <laughs> I know. Like yeah. I, I do that when I read other people's read other people's columns, right. right? Like I just want to know the names. Like why yeah. do we write anything? Why don't we just list names? Well, maybe don't read the part where I wrote, I'm hopeful that Eloy Jimenez will not be playing the outfield this season because <laughs> that is also a thing I wrote. Yeah, that's part of the reason why I like him. Uh, Mike Trout, I mentioned it, but his back has apparently been a quote non-issue for four months now. Good news there. I just took him in the second round of a draft and hold. So all right, I'll, you know, I'll take him at pick what 23 or something like that. That's Sounds good. Uh, Mike Soroka is a full go for spring training. His early ADP is 386. Scott, any interest? Apparently, he's competing for their fifth starter job. I mean, let's see how he looks in the spring. I think I think that's yep. going to be one to keep a close eye on. He was yeah, he was a divisive fantasy pitcher even before the uh, Achilles trouble started because he was not much of a bat misser. Uh, was a big ground ball guy and had good results, obviously. Um, I, I would say if, I, I would say if he generates a lot of buzz this spring, then he'll be, he'll, he'll, I, I could definitely see a scenario where he's a late round pick in 12 team leagues before the springs up. Like, you know, in a best case scenario for him, you know, obviously we need to see what he looks like coming back from so many injuries, but like 
there may not be that much of a difference between him and someone like Logan Webb in terms of skill set. It's just a, you know, a question of whether he's healthy. And I think Logan Webb probably has more upside, but you know, it's funny you say that, Chris. The first name that came to mind when Scott was explaining, uh, um, I was just thinking of Kyle Wright. Uh, Mike Soroka's skill set was <laughs> all the same. was Logan Webb. Yeah, I, was yeah, I mean, that. Logan Webb has the slider that he you know got really good results with in 2021. That you know I think probably suggests more upside than we've seen from Mike Soroka. But that's the like what we got from Logan Webb last season. That could be an outcome for Mike Soroka. Other Braves news, Ronald Acuna will skip the World Baseball Classic. Ozzie Albies has had a normal offseason following that pinky fracture he suffered in mid-September. For what it's worth, Acuna did play in the Venezuelan Winter League. Only 10 games, but 1160 OPS. Didn't really need to prove much for me. He's my number one overall player in Roto, but it's good to see him. He was on the Los Tiburones. I think they, they might have won the Venezuelan League, although I don't think he played the whole season. I would see just scarce highlights popping up from here and there from like the Venezuelan League and Dominican Winter League and stuff. It's it's fun. I mean, we don't have any other baseball uh, going on right now, so why not? Uh, Alex Bregman's broken left index finger has healed well, and he's been able to swing a bat since the start of January. Each of Chris Sale, Tanner Houck, and Garrett Whitlock are on track for the start of the season, and it sounds like both Hauk and Whitlock are being prepared as starters this season. Jesse Winker coming off knee and neck surgeries has been working out at the Brewers spring training complex and will not face any restrictions at the start of spring training. I believe this is a contract year for Jesse Winker too. If he can reclaim any of what we saw in Cincinnati now playing in American family field, uh, I think Jesse Winker he, might be on my sleeper list. I don't he's going to be on my sleeper list. Yeah, I kind of like I him. Put too. Together I, the list. I haven't written it, but he's he's on the list. <laughs> I like it too. I, I was I just do. thinking I meant to have him on my list. <laughs> so why didn't I? How did like I went through every name twice just to make sure I didn't leave anybody out. All right, yeah, he's, like he's off my list. I, I don't want <laughs> hearing he was hurt all of that. Like yeah. when the, whenever there's like somebody's inexplicably black inexplicably bad and then you find out after the year oh they were playing injured the whole time and then they're going to a better park on yeah, top like, of it <laughs> seattle was such a bad park for jesse winker yeah. to move to like just even before we ever saw him play there that was the the initial reaction to the trade was just this is about as big a downgrade as you could possibly get and milwaukee's not cincinnati although for left-handed hitters it's it's probably not far off it's, it's a very good home park for left-handed power so uh, i think there's Hopefully, Jesse Winker is healthy, makes it through spring training, and I'm going to try to draft him quite a bit. Uh, real quick, guys, do you have any Hall of Fame thoughts? Because I know the announcement is coming up on Tuesday. Sounds like Scott Rowland could make the push, and I don't know what happens with A-Rod and Manny Ramirez and Carlos Beltran. So I don't know if you have any thoughts before we uh, I mean, on the only the ones with any chance of getting in this year based on where the voting is now, it, the, the, the amount of... What we know, uh, the voting, what am I trying to say? Based on where the known votes, where the percentages stand, I'm saying this much harder than I need to. Scott Rowland and Todd Helton are the only two with any chance, but they're just barely over the line right yeah. now. Right. And I think there's a good chance they drop below the line and nobody goes in this year. And frankly, you know, looking at the class, it's not that surprising of an outcome. There aren't any. Um, I mean, I mean, if maybe it the clearest. If it slam- wasn't for the the Astros scandal, I think Carlos Beltran would have been a first ballot right. Hall of Famer. Right. Yeah. That's what I was gonna say. Like the clearest slam dunk might have been Carlos Beltran, and he's not. 
he has a pretty good voting turnout, but not enough to to really give him a serious chance this year. And then, of course, you got A-Rod and Manny Ramirez on there who would be slammed on Call of Famers, if not for the steroid stuff. Um, I think they should be in anyway, but that's yeah, that's an argument that has been done and redone so many times that I mean we got we got some veterans committee guys going in right we got McGriff and then someone else right yeah am I remembering that correctly I think McGriff is the <laughs> only former player that's going okay. in uh, as of now we'll yeah, see what happens true. with Scott Rowland and, and Scott Rowland Helton I, I'm a little iffier on but I think Scott Rowland would be a, be a very welcome addition to yep. the baseball hall of fame I, I hope he gets in yeah I agree. third base is weirdly underrepresented in the hall of fame before we hit the break just want to let everyone know that I love this time of year. You just feel the winds changing over to fantasy baseball mode. Pitchers and catchers are coming up. We've got the World Baseball Classic, which should be a lot of fun. Ton Cannot of content wait. coming out on CBSSports.com. You can check it out. CBSSports.com slash fantasy slash baseball. Go look at our rankings, our mock drafts, and, of course, our first iterations of sleepers, breakouts, and busts, which will be published today when you're listening to this Tuesday, January 24th. Make sure to check it out. Also, if you are watching us on YouTube, Thank you. Please hit the like button and subscribe. Duh. Really appreciate it. Uh, let's take a break, and we'll be back right after this. Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. All right, let's get into our latest 12-team Roto Mock Draft. I actually did not take part in this one, but these two fine gents were drafting back-to-back. Chris had the ninth overall pick. Scott had the 10th overall pick, and the draft results are live on the site. I'll post a link in the podcast and YouTube description so you can follow along. This was a standard 5x5 Roto categories league uh, with the lineups being two catchers, one of each infield position, five outfielders, one corner infielder, one middle infielder, one utility bat, and then nine pitchers, which you can divvy up however you like. Six starters, three relievers, seven starters, two relievers, or as Chris did, eight starters and one reliever, which we'll get to in just a bit. We're going to jump around all over the place. I got some things planned, but let's just start up top. The top five picks in this draft seem to be mostly the consensus. Aaron Judge, Jose Ramirez, Ronald Acuna, Trey Turner, Julio Rodriguez. You've probably seen them in different orders, but typically that five is the top five players that go in Roto. In fact, Chris and I have that exact group of five as our top five. One of us does not. That would be Scotty, who has Mookie Betts at fourth overall and Acuna down at six. Scotty, why are you down on Ronald Acuna? I mean, like we've been talking about all off season, he was a pretty big disappointment last year, even after he recovered from torn ACL. Um, 
didn't hit for characteristic power. Actually ran well despite coming back from serious knee injury, so that was encouraging to see. And look, I I think I, I think now that he's had more time to recover, um, you know, it was clear that knee was bothering him at times last year. He had to take stretches off even after he returned. We're going to see him get his swing back in order and elevate like we're used to seeing, and the power's going to back come back. I do think that's the most likely scenario, but I guess I'm being a little bit more cautious than the consensus is with that, uh, given the quality of players you could have in the top five instead. You know, I'm still ranking Acuna sixth. So, you know, I, I, I think that's showing plenty of optimism in its own right. And I, I guess maybe I'm just safeguarding against him having longer standing issues with the swing than, uh, than everybody's presuming. Yeah, I mean, on, you just have to split hairs this early in the draft, right, when deciding which players you want. And, you know, you're playing a little bit more safe. Chris, you are not, however. You mentioned Ronald Acuna is your first overall player in Roto Leagues this year. Uh, sounds like you're just kind of giving him a mulligan for the for the knee injury last season. Yeah, I mean, look, he still hit the ball hard. His plate discipline was still mostly fine. He walked a little less than than we've gotten used to. And I think the biggest issue was he just didn't have his legs under him. And like Scott said, he wasn't able to elevate the ball like we've seen from him. So I think once, you know, a full year removed, that you know, that's what you usually hear with, with the torn ACL is, you know, you can play coming off the injury, but it takes that next year to really get back to 100%. I think that's what we're going to see from him. The fact that they were willing to let him run as often as they did last season suggests that that's not going to be an issue. I think he's still going to continue to be one of the elite base stealers in the game. Moving forward, I think the, you know, he's made improvements in terms of his plate discipline over the past couple of seasons that have really put him in the conversation for, you know, one of, if not, you know, best hitters in baseball kind of upside. And, you know, if he hits 45 home runs this season and steals 40 bases, I mean, he he very nearly got to a 40-40 season back in 2019. He was on a 40-steal pace last season. I just, I don't really have much concern about what he did last season. Like the fact that he clearly wasn't right and was still pretty good, I think that suggests that he's just he's going to be fine. All right, let's finish up the rest of the first round. We had Mookie Betts at six, followed by Jordan Alvarez, Juan Soto, Kyle Tucker went to Chris, Shohei Otani went to Scott, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and then Freddie Freeman. That's right, zero. Zero starting pitchers in the first round. In fact, there was just one taken, Corbin Burns, 13th overall, in the first 23 picks of this draft, Garrett Cole and Sandy Alcantara went 24th and 25th respectively. And that meant there were just three starting pitchers total in the first 30 picks of this draft. And Scott, this is a lot of what we've talked about this offseason where there's almost a scarcity when it comes to elite hitters and that mid-tier of starting pitching has returned. And we're seeing it in this mock draft. Do you think this is how most drafts will go or... Maybe just because some listeners were a part of this mock draft and, you know, obviously they hear what we talk about all the time. No, I think this is how most will go. I, I think this is how they should go based on what we've been talking about, as he said, uh, the way that, you know, the balance the balance of power between pitching and hitting has gone back to pitching now with the den ball and the widespread humidor use and all of that, the middle class returning to pitching. I'm disappointed to see that it is playing out that way. It's hard to get anything past anyone these days. 
but it does appear to be playing out the way that it should, which means it's going to be harder to execute it properly. And in NFC drafts, that's what you're seeing. You know, technically there are six pitchers taken in the first 30 picks there. That's because you have Edwin Diaz and Emmanuel Class A going in the ter- first 30 picks, which is NFC. Those overall event drafts are a completely different monster and relief pitchers tend to get inflated, especially at this time of year. But once you take out Shohei Otani, it's just Corbin Burns, Garrett Cole and, and Sandy Alcantara inside the top 30 and ADP right now. Yeah, so that, I think that's what we're going to see. Yeah, I'm actually doing a an NFBC draft right now. It's a 15-team Roto, 50-round draft and hold, and I'm three rounds in. I don't have a starting pitcher yet, but names like Zach Wheeler, Dylan C., Shane Bieber, they're still available. This is in the fourth round of a 15-team league. So again, most people are kind of thinking the same way, uh, at least in early drafts. The second and third rounds were filled with position scarcity needs. We saw five third basemen go uh, in those two rounds, three second basemen, four outfielders, At this point in the draft, again, three rounds in, Chris had Kyle Tucker, Bobby Witt Jr., and Max Scherzer. Scott had Shohei Otani, Rafael Devers, and Francisco Lindor. Chris, we'll start with you. How much was position scarcity a factor in your early picks? Because you pick up Bobby Witt, third baseman, Kyle Tucker, you know, outfield is not great. Is that something that you were consciously thinking about with your early round picks? Uh, it's part of the the process, but for me, it's mostly just that, like, I don't really love Bobby Witt as a first round pick, but when you talk about 16th overall, I think that's where the, the cost benefit analysis starts to work out in your favor. But yeah, locking up outfield and third base that early, I mean, not locking up outfield, but getting a, a good outfielder that early, you know, it does make you think, you know, it makes you feel a little more positive about the rest of your team. It makes you, it gives you a little more flexibility about where you go. You don't you know, necessarily hit that point in like the seventh round where there's no good third baseman left and you start to panic and you, you potentially reach for one. So, you know, it, it's part of the thought process. It's not the primary reason why I took those guys. They just happen to be my, be my top rated players. Although it's interesting, I feel like I'm a little lower on Kyle Tucker and Bobby Witt than the consensus is for sure. And I ended up with both of them in this draft, along with a couple other guys that I'm lower than the consensus on in, in this one that I ended up with, which was interesting. Yeah, I mean, look, you might just be lower on those guys compared to early NFBC ADP. That's all we have to go on right now. So perhaps, you know, things will change once we start to get more average draft position from different outlets. But look, I mean, if Bobby Witt's falling to the middle of the second round in a a Roto League, I mean, he's someone that could go 25-25. That's that's a pretty valuable player in that format. Uh, Scott, I'm pretty sure I know the answer for you, but clearly you took Rafael Devers, which... Look, he's a really valuable player, but I have a mm-hmm. feeling that position scarcity was even more so in in the the front of your mind, not the back of your mind. That wouldn't make yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's uh, other than the 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 pitching hitting thing, which we we've talked about a lot in the off season. I think the the other main point that I've driven home is that position scarcity is back because when you're talking about uh, hitting not being as deep anymore. And you break that into individual positions, it it that shines a light on it further. And and some positions, um, you really can even in a twelve team league, even in like a ten team league, you can get left out and have to settle for second rate production in a way we weren't seeing as often during the juice ball era, when you know a lot of times it was smallish middle infielders benefiting and and turning into power hitters themselves, and that made for a lot more talent to go around at those traditionally weak positions. So it 
it's at the forefront of my mind in every draft. And so it was disappointing to me that I had to take a DH Shohei Otani with my first pick. And obviously he can play starting pitcher as well, but you can only choose each week where you're going to start him. And usually it's going to be DH. So that doesn't help with position scarcity at all. Uh, but I knew there was no reason to reach for a third baseman there because both Manny Machado, Rafael Devers were still on the board. One of them would make it back to me early in round two. It happened to be Devers, who I like even more than Machado. But then the next picks after that, Witt, who Chris took, Machado, Riley. There was a string of four third basemen off the board there early in round two, uh, which I think was also a reflection of position scarcity. And then this is the third mock draft we've done this year uh, for CBS. And even though I've said my number one priority in drafts this year is to draft one of Jose Altuve and Marcus Simeon in round three, with Ozzy Albies also there as a fallback option, one of those three really in round three, I have yet to actually do it <laughs> because it's such a narrow window. To, like I don't want to reach in round two and do it because the quality of players at other positions is still too high, you know, especially third base. That's a good time to fill third base. But waiting until round four is also clearly too long. And it, it turns out in this draft, the 10th pick of round three was too late for me to take any of Altuve, Simeon, and Albies. So I had to take Francisco Lindor, also not a scarce position, shortstop. Uh, so even though I was trying to play the position scarcity game, it only worked out with one of my first three picks. Ideally, my first three picks would be something like outfielder, third base, uh, second base, and cover the three weakest positions with my first three picks. But uh, that's not how it played out. And so I was struggling to fill the outfield and didn't get the quality of second baseman I wanted either. You know, one thing, I guess two thoughts. One, one thing I'm going to have to remind myself and I'm going to try to remind everyone of with regards to Marcus Simeon, since you mentioned it, because I'm just like going to just do this every time we talk about him. He's probably going to have a bad April. I just, I really think like if the, the reality that we saw last season where the ball just does not travel in April and then it takes a little while for that to change, he is incredibly reliant on those short pulled fly balls turning into home runs. And when they don't, if the ball's not traveling as far, Marcus Simeon's probably going to have a bad April and you're just going to have to live with that because he's probably still going to be very, very good from that point on, just like he was last season. So just that's one thing I want to keep in mind. And then the other thing is like, if you take Shohei Otani in the, in the first round, you know, Scott, I think you kind of touched on this. Does that make it even more important for you to get the positional scarcity guy, especially at third base with one of your next two picks? Yeah. I mean, every, (laughs) every pick, uh, but especially if I've if I've already used up my DH spot, I, I hate using the DH spot that early yeah, because tough. even late in the draft, even after I'd already filled second base and was filling out the outfield, it's like honestly there were there were a lot of middle infielders who I liked the value of who I wanted to be able to stick mm-hmm. at utilities in that DH spot, uh, and I I had already filled shortstop, second base, and my middle infield spot. Shortstops mainly, I'm talking about not second baseman, obviously. Um, and I couldn't do it because I had Otani there. So it's annoying, but he's obviously a first-rounder. I, I would rather have him than Vladimir Guerrero or Freddie Freeman who went with the next two picks. So mm-hmm. it's just you're confined by some to some degree by your turn order, and I happen to pick 10th in this draft. 
Yeah, it, it is tough. The Otani thing, man, especially if you play in a deeper league too, if you play in a 15-team league and you're using your first-round pick on Shohei Otani, when you know you're going to have so many other positional needs throughout the draft, it is tough, but at some point you've got to do it because, I mean, we see what his upside is, right? Year in and year out. It's a top 10 pitcher. It's a you know top 10 hitter in the game. Uh, now he's entering a contract year. So, I mean, I won at least one share of Otani this year because... I think he could just go absolutely ballistic, which is something he's already done. Uh, another reason, let's jump back over to pitching here. You see drafters waiting on pitching is value. Again, if everyone in the draft has the same mindset, then of course it's going to cause a bunch of pitcher value. But look at some of these names and where they went. In round four, we had Shane McClanahan. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. First. I was wondering why you put purple in parentheses <laughs> in the notes, and I'm realizing that's that must be your... Yeah. Yeah. I have a soundboard with a bunch of colors. Your little so, mini board, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, it, yeah, just it's easier to remember that way. But, hey, our, our first Here Comes the Money of the Year, so we had to do it. Round four, Shane O'Mac, Brandon Woodruff, Carlos Rodon, Aaron Nola. Round five, Zach Wheeler, Shane Bieber, Spencer Strider, Alec Manoa, Dylan Cease went to Scott, and Julio Arias. Round six, Max Fried went to Scott, Kevin Galsman went to Chris, Luis Castillo, and Hugh Darvish. I mean, rounds four through six, they are just so plentiful. You could wait until rounds four or five, like Scott did, and you can get an SP1 that you could still feel really, really good about. So that's another reason why I think people are kind of leaning into drafting hitters with their first two or maybe even their first three picks. Chris, I wanted to ask you, when you hear some of these names, and obviously you took Gosman as, as your SP2 in round six, do you regret taking a Max Scherzer at the end of round three over another elite-type hitter like a Lindor or Randy Rosarena or, or Luis Roberts type? No, especially now when you put it as, you know, Francisco Lindor, Randy Rosarena, <laughs> and Luis Robert. Like, look, I, those are fine players, but, yeah. I, like, you can say, oh, you can get an SP1 in round five. And, like, technically that's true because there are, if you define SP1 as the first 12 starting pitchers who are taken, one of them, you know, is all 12 of them are SP1s. But, like, I think there is a difference between, you know, SP four or five and SP eight or nine, let alone 12 or 13. You know, I think what you see, and and I think my philosophy with starting pitcher this year is probably going to be kind of an, a hero SP approach, which is what I did in this draft, basically where I, I took one ACE, you know, Kevin Gosman, a kind of ACE. And then I, I'm just going to wait on starting pitcher because I think what, what you don't want to do is push the guys who, can pitch like an ace, but have never shown that they can do it for 180 innings or the guys who can throw 190 innings, but they're fine. You know, like a, a Spencer Strider in the first category or a, I don't know, Zach Wheeler would be a good ca character or a good choice for that. But, you know, a Castillo or a Gosman who's like going to give you good production over a lot of innings, but, you know, there's definitely production pr performance question marks. I'd rather just get a guy like Max Scherzer, who, yes, he has missed some time over the past couple of seasons, only through 145 innings last season, but like I think has a better chance of reaching 190 than Shane McClanahan or Spencer Strider does. So I would rather get pay for the guys who have proven to be elite guys with the volume as well than try to fill out my pitching staff or get my elite pitchers from the let's hope they can do it group, I guess is how I would put it. I guess, uh, I, I guess for me, 
I look at the t- and I've I've talked about how there's like a tier of seven at the top of the starting pitcher rankings. I put McClanahan in that. I put Degrom in that. But part of the reason it's seven, and part of the reason I actually put ancient guys like Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer at the top of that tier of seven, which is not something you're going to see in too many people's rankings, is because I look at all of those guys and I have I have concerns like more more than for the top ranked pitchers in past years i guess is what i'm getting at Uh, like even even garrett cole he's come to be an era liability with his propensity for home runs at yankee stadium i mentioned the ancient guys you know shane mcclanahan the fact he hasn't built up a big workload yet and faded down the stretch when he tried Jacob DeGrom, his concerns are obvious. I guess there's Corbin Burns there, who seems like the safest among them. But a year ago, we weren't talking about him being a safe guy for workloads. So, I don't know. I don't feel confident enough in the advantage any of those guys is theoretically going to give me uh, that I wouldn't just take a Shane Bieber type instead or Alec Manoa or, you know... Max Fried's more. I, I took Max Fried as my number two here in round six. So I, I, I like that approach better. Uh, it, it may turn out great for you to to take a Scherzer in round three. Obviously, we've seen what he can do if he holds up for a full two hundred innings. But it's been a few years since he's done that. All right, let's quickly recap your teams within this draft, um, and we'll start with Scott. Again, he was drafting 10th overall. Your infield: Travis Darno and Francisco Alvarez at catcher. Rowdy Telez at first. Andres Jimenez at second. Scott, don't be so hard on yourself. I, I kind of like Andres Jimenez. I, I think that's fine. Uh, Rafael Devers <laughs> at third base, Francisco Lindor at short, uh, Willie Adamas at middle infield, and Josh Young at corner infield. Um, seems pretty well balanced, Scott. I would say maybe you're lacking batting average. Uh, was there anything that you liked or disliked about your infield? It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I'd rather have a better second baseman. Andres Jimenez, like, if he just does what he did last year, then then that's fine. I, I guess the key with him is I don't trust him to do what he did last year. He was one of the biggest overachievers according to StatCast. And um, I just don't have the same level of confidence that I have in like a Jose Altuve or, or Marcus Simeon even. I do like Rowdy Telez. Uh, I, I think he's could be one of the biggest beneficiaries of the, the shift ban. But I'd rather have him as like a corner infielder than my starting first baseman. You know, I waited till the very, very, very end of the the first base rank, the 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 part of the first base rankings where I feel comfortable taking the guy as my starter. Um, Rowdy Teles probably a little outside of that even. So I, I really went the bargain basement route, even though it's a player I like. It, it doesn't inspire a lot of confidence there either. But Francisco Lindor's probably about as good of a shortstop as I'll end up drafting because you know that's not a position I'm prioritizing early because uh, it's pretty deep. Willie Adamas, the fact that I got him as my middle infielder, you know, he, more likely he'll be somebody I draft to be my starting shortstop. But, you know, overall it's fine. It's not what I it's not necessarily what I planned, but I'm I'm okay with it. I can work with it. In the outfield, you had Luis Robert, Hunter Renfro, Mitch Hanniger, Lourdes Gurriel, and my man, Oscar Colas, as your fifth outfielder. Shohei Otani was your utility bat. And Scott, you mentioned you had Lindor, you had Willie Adamas, so your middle infield was pretty beefed up. Uh, in yeah. hindsight, would you have maybe passed on Adamas to take a better outfield too, like a Christian Yelich, a Chris Bryant, or a Jake McCarthy, someone who went in that round nine range? I mean, think about those names you just said. Not the most exciting. <laughs> 
right. Yeah, a lot has to go. A lot more has to go right for them than for Willie Adamas to to make that pick worthwhile. So I think that's where you get that's where you get into uh, overplaying the position scarcity game if you if you make that choice like that. The Yelich Bryant class that is outside the group of outfielders that I feel comfortable. Like that that's after the big drop off. I, I refer to a big drop off in the outfield. They're outside of it. And so it's already happened at that point. So just take a good play or some, somewhere else. That's the way I saw it. And uh, at that point in the draft, I only had Luis Robert, my one and only outfielder. I took him in round four. Obviously he has durability concerns. Uh, so it's not like, it's not like I can feel amazing even about that pick, but yeah, I, w- I would say my biggest regret. I, I'm, brought up the second base thing I, I think the bigger regret is that i wasn't able to get uh I, I wasn't able to fill in more of my outfield early because of how early that drop-off comes and how steep it is so you know it's not like it wasn't top of mind in draft it, it just it just didn't work out for me at the spot where i was picking the pitchers that scott wound up with dylan cease max freed Tristan mckenzie charlie morton can't quit. What's dead may never die. Tyler Anderson, Miles Michaelis as the starters, and then Felix Bautista, Alexis Diaz, and Pete Fairbanks as the relievers, which I absolutely love. If I could come away from every Roto draft this year with those three or some like something like that, I would love it. Uh, Pete Fairbanks at, at 202nd overall, I think is a steal. I, I was going to write him up as a breakout, but... Uh, nope. I, I decided against writing breakouts. up a reliever. So, yeah, Pete Fairbanks is awesome. Let's quickly wrap up with Scott, uh, Chris's team, rather, uh, who was picking ninth overall in this draft. The infield, Alejandro Kirk, MJ Melendez at catcher, uh, Vinny Pasquantino at first, Brandon Lau at second, Bobby Witt Jr. at third, Wander Franco at short, CJ Abrams at middle infield, and Anthony Rendon at corner. Chris, I don't know if you realize this, but you have a lot of Royals and Rays on this team. Yeah. Um, what more do you need, right? But it's actually really fun. I mean, I, I really like this infield. Maybe not the combination of that many players on, on specific teams, but yeah. I really like those players overall. It's, it's yeah, I mean, it's combo. interesting because it's, it's a group of players that historically and even this season, I don't necessarily love. You know, Melendez... Just gonna make the same joke because you can always hear the cops behind me. They're called the cops on me for having too many royals. Um, <laughs> like Melendez is on my bus list, but Stop. my bus list is very specifically Melendez and Bobby Witt, both on my bus list. But my bus list is very specifically about early values and and how people are being drafted right now. And Melendez is a top one hundred pick right now. That doesn't make sense to me because there's a clear batting average floor that could be you know catastrophic for him, but. 129th, it starts to be a little easier for me to, to to stomach that, especially with a very strong batting average in Alejandro Kirk there. And you know, I I'm I'm I was surprised, Frank, that you didn't have Vinny Pasquantino in your uh, breakouts column because I I wrote Vinny Pasquantino is just going to be in every single breakouts column for the 2023 fantasy baseball season. And I saw you had already written yours, so I went and checked, and well, fact check, not not true, I guess, but. <laughs> There's so much to like about him. I think he could be an Anthony Rizzo type uh, hitter for the next, you know, five to ten years, and really love the skill sets there. So, yeah, definitely not intentional to grab Rays and and Royals, but the way it worked out, I think it's okay. Vinny P, baby, he was in consideration for my breakouts column. In fact, uh, I wrote about two players, Nick Lodolo and Lars Nupar, who I said these are everyone's favorite breakouts this year. 
Guess what? Chris didn't yeah, have either fun. of those names in his breakout column. But so, I do. Oh, well, right? there you go. Basically, <laughs> all the guys you're talking about leaving out of each other's columns, I, right. I have them all in mind. So, good, uh, good. you know, best you of go. all worlds right here. Hey, there's something good about groupthink, I, right? Scott, I mean, I've, all, I've always said you were the you were the Miley Cyrus of our podcast. There you go. <laughs> uh, for the outfield on Chris's team, he had Kyle Tucker, Eloy Jimenez, Jake McCarthy, Nick Castellanos, and Riley Green. Love it. Ramon Laureano at utility. Uh, maybe you worry about the counting stats a, a bit, Chris. I mean, the Royals, the, sure, the Rays, yeah. and National, a Tiger, an A's hitter. But, I mean, the collection. That's kind of what I like about Elo Jimenez here. Yeah. Is, like, at the very least, I'm going to get a lot of RBI from him. Yeah. Uh, and then the pitchers for you, you had Max Scherzer, Kevin Gosman, Pablo Lopez, Chris Sale, Patrick Sandoval, John Gray, Reed Detmers, Edward Cabrera as the starters, and just Edwin Diaz as the reliever. Um, I mean, there's a good amount of injury risk, but you're in your entire group of starters, I would say Scherzer, Lopez, Sale, uh, John Gray has injury risk, Edward Cabrera mm-hmm. too. Uh, they're all pretty exciting pitchers. Though. I, I do like John Gray quite a bit myself as well. Um, but you only wound up with one closer. Was that on purpose or did you just kind of forget? No, I mean, when <laughs> half to two thirds of the closers are probably going to lose their job at some point during the course of the season, I'm kind of fine with getting one of the really, really good ones who's definitely not going to lose his job unless he gets hurt and just figure it out from there, especially when it's not going to cost me, you know, a second round pick like it would in NFBC. You know, I think Edwin Diaz was my fourth round pick. I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah, fourth round pick. You took him 40th overall. And um, yeah, he was the first closer off the board. Um, you know, maybe you take a few stabs later on, but hey, I mean, if you want to go the uh, the hero closer route, uh, something you mentioned with hero starting pitcher, I think that's a perfectly fine strategy. And then just kind of load up on some upside spec closers later on in your draft. If you want to see the complete results again, you could do that uh, at the link, which is in the podcast and the YouTube description. But we're going to wrap there. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.